Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm happy to be with you uh, today. This is the last week in our uh, current series. Next week, we start a brand new series where we're going verse by verse through the book of James. I hope you can join us. And if you own a Bible, it's a good time to bring it out. I mean, you can use your phone too. But sometimes when you go verse by verse, it's kind of nice to highlight, underline, circle, and things like that. So that's starting next week. But today is the last week in our series titled Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Again, this uh, whole series is based on a book written by Andy Stanley titled The Same. And each week we've learned questions that can help us navigate life a bit better. Remember, the whole series is based off of this verse in Proverbs 27, 12. It says, the prudent, which is also wise, right? The prudent, the wise, see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And all of us have paid the penalty for not knowing what our decisions would bear. But the prudent or the wise, well, they have a filter. They can maybe pause and ask some questions to see what will happen or what may happen. And that's what this whole series is about, learning to be wise and see danger coming before it comes. Considering we can talk ourselves into absolutely everything, anything, we ask the integrity question, am I being honest with myself? Really? And the first decision we have to make is the integrity decision. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself because sometimes it does. Considering we can all get rather emotional, get focused, and want to make a decision in the here and now because of immediate gratification, we have the legacy question, which we say, well, what story do I want to tell? Do I really want this decision to be a part of my story that I have that I tell Another person tells, my kids tell, or another family tells about me. The decision number two is the legacy decision. I will decide a story I'm proud to tell. I will not decide anything that makes me a liar for life. The next is, well, it's called the conscious question. Considering we all have that built-in warning system, we say, is there, we ask, is there attention that needs my attention? Decision number three is I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. When that little voice is screaming or that little, little knot you get, say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. We pause and we explore rather than ignore our conscience. Last week we learned about the maturity question. Considering not everything fits in a category of right and wrong, we ask, well, what's the wise thing to do? Not is it right, not is it wrong, not is it a sin or is it legal, is it permissible? We shouldn't ask those all the time. Rather we say, is this wise? Is this really, will this really do what I want it to do? And we must decide, well, to do the wise thing. Doesn't mean it's easy, but we should ask. Now this week, I can assure you the question we're gonna ask won't surprise any of you. It's one that you would expect to be in a series based on the Bible. However, I can assure you this question is by far the hardest to pull off because this question you can ask every day, often several times a day, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's if you're driving or whether you're a passenger in the car. I mean, this question you can ask all the time, and it's a game changer, not just for you, but for everyone around you. 
But Andy gives a disclaimer about this question. And it's a pretty long quote, but it's too good not to read the whole thing. So let's go for it. He says, our first four questions come with a guaranteed ROI, return on investment. You'll always come out ahead by discovering why you're doing what you're doing, really. You'll have something to show for writing a story that you want to tell. There will be a positive, often measurable return for paying attention to the tension and doing the wise thing. These four questions always yield a favorable return. Always. Keep going. Often immediately. Always eventually. Either way, they will pay. Asking and answering honestly will make your life better. Our fifth and final question is different. There may be no tangible, measurable, or even noticeable return on your effort with this one. While the first four questions are demanding in the moment, our final question is demanding throughout every waking moment of every day. The reason being, our final question isn't about making your life better. It's about making someone else's life better, which may, may make your life better, but it may not. So why bother? Glad you asked. Our final question, should, have the cur- should you have the courage to ask and act on it, positions you to make the world better. In other words, this question may not work for you, and it may put you in a worse position than you ever want to be in. But it's a question that we should ask. It's the relationship question. And is, what does love require of me? You see, love, and I'm sure many of us know this, but this is a good thing to talk about. Love, in a nutshell, encompasses our entire faith. Out of God's great love for us, Jesus came to us. Jesus died for us. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross for us, even though we were sinners. While we deserve nothing, Christ gave us everything. But love isn't just something we find out because of the cross. Love, in fact, is something that Jesus taught. You probably remember this one. One day in Mark chapter 12, someone comes up to Jesus and says, one of the teachers of the law came to Jesus and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which means everything the Old Testament teaches us, out of everything, all of it, which is the most important? Well, Jesus replied. He said, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. The guy didn't ask for the second, but Jesus gave him two. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. You see, we know by Jesus' explanation in the Gospels that loving our neighbor means loving everybody we come into contact with. And Jesus said the most important thing each and every one of us can do is to love God with our absolutely everything. God must be the priority in our lives. And out of our love for God, then we can love everybody else. But if we don't get our relationship with God right, we won't have our relationship right with everybody else. It just won't happen. And so how do we love? And that brings us to something, well, very important. You see, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, shortly before the cross, Jesus shows and tells them and demonstrates what love is is. You remember Jesus being the rabbi, the teacher, the, their master who they were learning from, he gets down and washes their feet, which of course blew them away. I mean, this, they should be serving their rabbi, not the other way around. It's like the CEO going in and cleaning the toilets, not because he has to, not because nobody else will, but because he wants to 
for the benefit of everybody else. It's like the principal driving the school bus, not because he wants to, not because he has to, but because he wants to serve the kids. And in that room, he tells them he'll be going away soon, and here's what Jesus says. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. We go, okay, no, no, but he's not done. As I have loved you. He just got done washing their feet, cleaning their dirty, dusty, sandal feet. Love like that. Love by serving others. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Notice, this isn't an option. This isn't if you're having a good day, if the person's nice to you, if you like them. This is a command Jesus gives. That we're to love because there's something different about us, because he is different about us. And out of our love because of God and our love in God, we then love other people. We are to be different as Christians. We should be very different. And how do we love? Jesus says, I loved the man who was betrayed the man who was betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his friends, falsely accused by the people he grew up with, the government wrong, wrongly sends him to death, even though they know he didn't deserve it. And yet through all of that, he still loved by going to the cross, by dying for each and every one of us, dying for them. Love isn't based on being fair. Love is based on something very different. See, contrary to popular belief, love isn't a feeling. Did you know feelings come and go? Never, maybe you haven't thought about it. Yeah, love isn't just a feeling. I know Hollywood teaches us something different. I know our culture teaches us something different. We think love is just something. No, love is significantly more than a feeling. Love is something that we do. Love can be seen by our actions, not just how we feel. You can love someone and not feel happy about that person at the same time. Did you know that? All the married people said, amen, yes, I do absolutely know that, yes. It's, we, no one told me, but I found out pretty hard, yes. Yeah, probably one of the most popular passages of Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul talks all about love, and we read this at wedding. They read it at your wedding. They read it at my wedding. I read it at probably every other wedding. But it's not just about weddings. In fact, Paul wrote this to a church, saying this is how you need to, how you need to handle each other. Not just about when you come together in marriage, but this is how all Christians should talk and deal with each other. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it also perseveres. So let's go ahead and just break these down and make all of us uncomfortable this morning. Y'all good with that? We're doing it anyways, okay? Let's keep going. Let's talk about it first. Love is what? Patient. Now, how patient are you? Yes, Rocky, I'm talking to you today, okay? How patient are you? Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, people are impatient? Humans haven't changed much. Technology has, our lives have, but we're still an impatient Bunch. How do we know this? Because this is what patience means. It means the ability to accept or de tolerate delays, problems, or suffering. We're like, okay, hold on. Without becoming annoyed or anxious. 
How tired are you? How tired are you? How tired am I of hearing? Well, because of COVID, we don't have, we can't do, right? Anybody been aggravated with that? Yeah, absolutely all of us, right? I guess the Lord's teaching us how to be what? Yeah, patient. So the Christian in this environment of nobody having anything or they can't find staff and you want to be served, the Lord says, no, 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 love is, love is patient, which means we go at the pace of other people. Love identifies that they're not on the same page. They may not be as fast as us. They may not be as smart of us, whatever. They might have the things we want, but instead of being angered and aggravated and all those other emotions, we calm down. And we go at their pace. We go with what they have. We are to be patient. That's what love is, which means we're patient in our marriages. We're patient when we're driving. We're patient in the workplace. Love requires you and me to be patient. And if you want a lesson in patience, just read the Gospels. You will find that Jesus and his followers, I mean, he is so patient, they don't understand anything. They rarely listen to him, and when he does teach them and he does explain it, they still don't get it. And yet he still says, come on, come on, let's just keep going. You'll eventually get it. Keep going. Let's go. Love is patient. Next one. Oh, no, go back. Love is kind. We're just getting started. It's already convicting, isn't it? And we just started. We got a lot to go through today, so hang in there. Love is kind. Patience and kindness, of course, goes together. Patience is going at the pace of other people. Kindness speaks to how we treat them, how we interact with them. Kindness is the quality of being friendly, um, generous, and considerate. And I've been thinking about kindness a lot recently, how to be kind, what that looks like. And I think one of the best ways we can be kind in today's climate, in today's world, you and me, I think we can be kind by limiting limiting our opinions about things. We're going to keep going with that. For instance, it's a true story. At the last church I was at, I just got there, just, you know, became the pastor. And a lot of times pastors meet up, talk, hang out. And I got together with this other pastor who was down the road quite a bit. His church was in a different um, area, but we got together, same denomination, talk and hang out. And as we were talking, getting to know each other, I said, you know, y'all are in a unique spot where you're located. Do some pretty amazing ministry. And he said, yeah, but... And he started talking about those people in that neighborhood. He started talking about those moms with those kids. He started talking about those people with those problems. And he proceeded to just talk and talk. And I could tell by what he was saying, he had never talked to any any of those people with those problems. He surely had never experienced a life like that. I could tell he'd been rather spoiled and rather isolated and just assumed everybody else should be where he's at. This was a pastor, right? They make mistakes too. But what he didn't know is everything he was saying, he was talking about me growing up. All the demeaning, all the nasty, all the assumptions, he had no idea who I was yet. And he just talked about those people over there and had no idea that one of them was sitting in the room with him. Needless to say, I never played golf with him. We never talked after that. But I think one of the first things we can do is limit our opinions when they're not needed about things. And secondly, we can stop assuming. 
We can stop assuming that we know what other people have gone through. We can stop assuming that other people on the same level or same page or have the same experience. You know, all that stuff that we assume people that look like us, talk like us, or in the same place have, because what you'll find is quite often they're very different. As you know, right now our country is divided about, I don't know, everything? Absolutely everything. And while it's common, let's be honest, while it's common to trash the other side, as Christians, we need to love the other people. And that means be kind. Take into account that we don't often know their story. We often don't have a clue what they've gone through. We don't know why they believe what they believe. And let me get on a pedestal for a minute. I'm going to get on it, okay, just for a second. We have to get back to the place where we can have civilized conversations with people we don't agree with. I mean, we have to learn to get along with people we disagree with. May I say, and forgive me, we need to grow up. And as Christians, we can start that process. We can agree to disagree. It's fine. I mean, I don't agree with myself half the time. How about y'all? I say stuff up here next day. I'm like, I don't know about that. I changed my mind already. It happens. So we should show some grace. Because the truth is, many of the things we say aren't actually needed to be said. Remember that advice you heard when you were growing up? If you don't have nothing nice to say, what happened to that, folks? We don't have to be cruel. We don't have to be nasty. We don't have to talk about them over there as if we know them. But rather, we can be... Just for a reference, this was a command by Jesus. A command. Not a, if you feel like it. This is what love is. And of course, you can have those disagreements with people you know and your friends. You know them, they know you. Of course, you can debate and argue all that, but you know them. That's different than just being in those environments and just assuming and just talking and just giving that opinion that's not, not needed. And of course, there are countless other ways to be kind, but that's something I've been thinking about recently. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love well, here's what it doesn't do. It does not envy. If we could get this right in our churches, we would be on our way to unity so quick. Envy is feeling dis, uh, discontent or resentful, aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. You ever just been mad at someone you didn't know why? Probably because of envy. Because here's the thing about envy. We don't admit it. We all know it's gross. We all know it's disgusting. And none of us will even admit it to ourselves that I'm just mad that they're prettier than me. Would you ever admit that? Nope. I'm mad that they're taller. I would admit that. It's probably true. I probably get a little aggravated at everybody taller than me. Right? Envy is one of those nasty things that we all know is wrong. We don't admit when we're feeling it. In fact, we just fill it with a bunch of nonsense if we think about it. We just make up all this stuff. And it's really just envy that we got to put to bed. And there's something else we could replace it with. Look what C.S. Lewis says. He says, love. He says, love is not affectionate feelings but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Imagine, imagine if we just wish the ultimate good for people. 
Like we were excited when they got that promotion. We were excited when they got that raise. We were excited when they got that new job. It doesn't matter if they made more or they work less. None of that mattered. You were excited for them. Please never forget, I think we all forget this from time to time, never forget that just because someone else is blessed doesn't mean that God can't bless you. He's not limited with his blessings. Did you know that? Just because your friend gets that thing doesn't mean God can't do something for you. He didn't reach his quota for the day. But have you ever thought about it? You think, well, they got something, that means I can't. That's not true. God's not limited in his blessings. We should be happy and excited when things happen for other people. And I know we're all work in progresses. We all are. Next one. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not proud. Well, boasting usually goes with uh, envy, doesn't it? If you've ever given your, your resume to somebody and they didn't ask. If you've ever given your verbal resume to somebody and they didn't ask for it. That is what boasting is. Oh, well, here's what I did. Nobody cares. That's boasting. Let it go. Let it go. When they see your efforts and they see your intelligence, they may go, hey, what do you do? Then give them your resume. Then talk about what's going on. So boasting, we, if we do boast, the Bible tells us we need to boast in whom? Jesus Christ. We boast in his grace. We boast in the cross. We boast in everything he is. We should not boast in ourselves. We are merely creatures made out of dust. We boast in Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Oh, yeah, but boasting goes hand in hand with this one. Oh, go back. Being proud. Yeah, proud, pride. Anybody ever dealt with pride? Yeah, you're too proud to raise your hand, aren't you? Mm-hmm, that's how that one goes. Yeah, pride, of course, is self-centeredness. And the Bible teaches us over and over again that pride is the cause of so much destruction in this world. It's because of pride. It's our egos. Pride says we're right. Pride can't say I'm sorry. Pride is all about me. And pride just absolutely misses the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel says you're not good enough. And pride says, but I am. And Jesus says, no, but you're not. I am. So we got pride. Verse 5. It does not dishonor love. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. Well, being dishonored, that means it's, well, love isn't rude. It doesn't shame people. and doesn't love to talk about how horrible someone else is. Love is self-seeking. In other words, do we put our needs or other people's needs first? Isn't it hard to know you want something and let that go for the benefit of somebody else? That's love. Love isn't easily angered, and I love that. If someone can't talk to you about politics in 2021, perhaps you are easily what? Yep. This is coming out a lot nowadays. We're getting so violent over nothing, over opinions. It's rather interesting. Love isn't easily angered. Meaning, is it okay to be angry? Of course, you can get angry. Anger is a real emotion. It's not necessarily a bad emotion. But if you get to level 10 anger, like if you're just as angry, if your spouse doesn't do the dishes or doesn't take out the trash, like if, if you're just as angry about that as you, if you would be if they like sold the house and didn't tell you about it, like perhaps there's a problem. That's easily anger. Like it's okay to be angry. We all feel that. We can't help it. But easily angered, that's a whole different thing. 
And this one I love. It keeps no records of wrong. I love to recite that when I'm in trouble, by the way. Like, Jess, you're not supposed to remember all the other things I've done wrong. You're supposed to remember. It's what the Bible says, right? I, you can weaponize scripture pretty quick. You shouldn't, but you can. This means we should be forgiving. We shouldn't bring up things over and over as so we're building a case to attack somebody. We shouldn't keep records of wrong. Now, now, this doesn't mean, okay, this doesn't mean you can do things, horrible things to other people, and just assume they should forget about it. That's called being naive, and they would be a fool. Okay, that's not what it's saying. It's just saying we shouldn't generally try to build cases against people we love. And who are we to love? Everybody, right? That's where it gets difficult. It's not just for our spouse. This is for everyone. We shouldn't be that way. We should be more forgiving. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices when you live out the truth, when you live out the gospel, when you live in God. And what this means, and this is very important, especially if you're younger, this means people that truly love you will not try to get you to do things that are sinful. If you haven't heard it, you will hear it. If you loved me, you would fill in the blank with the sin. No, love doesn't rejoice in evil, doesn't rejoice in sin. Love doesn't want you to go down that path. Love will want you to live in the truth. If your friends loved you, they wouldn't want you to participate in that thing that they may get in trouble with, that thing they know is illegal, that thing they know a lot of consequences. They don't want you to do that. Love will want to keep you from that. And we say, yeah, but no, 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 I'm telling you, if someone really loved you, they wouldn't want you to go down this path. They want to get you towards the truth. They want you to live out how God has asked you to live. And love means also being, of course, truthful to people and truthful about people. Verse 7, love, it always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Isn't that interesting? Love will never go away. God is love. We will be in that forever. It's very interesting. But love protects, which means it cares about the relationship. It puts the relationship over the self. What does that mean? It means if we're in a relationship, if we're in a friendship, if we're in a group of people, it's not just about whom. It's not just about me. It's about us, the relationship we protect. Now, don't weaponize scripture again. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we have to end relationships. Sometimes we have to end friendships. Sometimes we have to walk away from things because of harm. Don't, don't assume the Bible's being naive. It's not. It's telling us what it, what it is. But love protects, which means if two people are looking out for the best interests of that relationship, hey, let's not do those things we know is going to tear the relationship apart. Let's not go to those places we know that's going to tear those things apart. Love thinks about protecting the relationship. It always trusts. This means that rather than being suspicious of people, we lean to trusting people. And I know that can be hard. I know that can be difficult, especially if you grew up in an environment where people just didn't trust each other. But what we choose to do, if we're unsure about something, is we choose to trust. But again, this doesn't mean that if you've done something, that somebody can just pretend it didn't happen. If you've broken trust, well, then there's a whole other process you have to deal with. The idea is that when in doubt, we want to lean to trust people. We want to lean to help people. We want to lean to believe people. So we acknowledge that. And love always hopes, which is the optimistic outlook. Some of you are natural this way. Um, if you are, you know I've commented on it. Some people just hope the best and wish the best and always think things are going to turn out great. I'm not naturally wired that way. I wish I was. 
but some of us naturally are, and you drive me crazy. I'm just envious. I'm just going to be honest. I'm envious. I wish I was that hopeful. That's all it is. But we should be. We should be hopeful and optimistic about other people. And here's the kicker. We're not, we're not just hopeful because to be hopeful. We're hopeful in the power of Jesus Christ. We're hopeful in the gospel. We really believe that Jesus can do things through broken people. We really do believe that people can change. We really do believe that the gospel is that powerful. So our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the gospel. When other people claim that truth, then we, we can say, okay. We're going to hope, we're going we're gonna to believe this. And of course, love perseveres. There'll be trials in all relationships and all friendships and all of that, but love perseveres. We keep going with it. So this brings us to the relationship question. The whole idea of what is love? Well, love is all of that. Love is what we do. And if we ask, what does love require of me? It completely changes the game. It's not what does love require of them. We always have that answer, don't we? So what does love require of me? What do I need to do in this situation? What do I need to do with this relationship? What do I need to do? And remember, this was the command, a new, say it with me, command. That's convicting, isn't it? But it's what we're to do as Christians, to love, to love other people. And we do this first and foremost with our church. Remember the church is a community of people, a group of people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as a church, what we do is we need to practice these Christian things, these virtues, these commands from Jesus with each other. So we should come to church knowing that there are gonna be people we don't like, we don't relate to, that are gonna be different from us. And we come together and we practice what? Love. Everybody got real quiet. Do we following? Because if we can't practice it here with our other brothers and sisters who claim the same Jesus Christ, if we can't show love to each other, how in the world are we going to do it out there? We practice here. We practice under Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. We are the people who live out the Jesus stuff, the Jesus teachings. We take it serious and we do it to each other. We love and we ask for forgiveness and we work through this messiness called ministry in life. We do that together to then be prepared to go out in the world and do it with people who may not love us back, who may not share the same interest. But we do it so people will know that we are disciples Jesus Christ, because we are to be different. We are called to be different. So we ask, what does love require of me at that restaurant with my spouse? What does love require of me to those people who keep saying horrible things? What does love require of me to those people who keep backstabbing? But enough about me, what does love require of you? And before we ignore this, Can we just be honest with ourselves and with each other for a minute? Isn't this what we want from other people? Don't we want others to be patient and kind to us? Don't we want others not to be envious or boastful or prideful? Don't we want people not to shame us, not to be self-centered, not to be quickly angered? Don't we want people to be supportive of the truth? Aren't we always claiming things need to be right, just, and fair? And don't we want people to endure through our mess-ups, to trust us, to wish the best and be loyal to us? I mean, don't we actually want that 
from everybody else? So why not? I mean, why not do this? What Jesus said in Luke. Do to others as you, have, which is, as you would have them do to you. Since we all want love and those things we talked about, why not go ahead and lead the way and do them and show them to other people? So our relationship question is, what does love require of me and the decision? Decision number five, again, last week of the series, the relationship decision. I will decide with the interest of others in mind. And the problem with this is it's so easy, you're not gonna forget it. And it's gonna bother you all week when you're challenged to do it. You watch. You're gonna get around those people and go, what does, what do you say? What does hate require of me? I got that covered. I'm good. What does love in this moment, in this relationship with this person on this phone call, what does love require of me? And remember, it's about making the world a better place. It's about showing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And keep in mind, church, that we do this not because people deserve it, not because they're worth it, but because we are commanded to do it. None of us are gonna get this right all the time. That's where grace comes in. Perfect love doesn't come from our spouse or from our friends. Perfect love comes from Jesus Christ. But we do our best. We do our best as Christians to pull this off, to love. So this week, will you do it with me? Does love require of me. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for leaving us with a powerful command to love. Thank you for demonstrating your powerful love for us while we were your enemies, while we were living our lives without you. You came to us, you died for us and provided salvation for us. That we deserve nothing. I pray that those who need to respond to that love will accept you as their Lord and Savior to turn their life over to you. And I pray that for all of us, this will be our new standard of living, to love as Jesus loved. Lord, I pray for every person in this room who knows they need to do something because of your love, whether it's to mend those relationships, to say I'm sorry, to treat a person differently, I pray that they have the boldness to do what you've commanded. I pray that each and every one of us live in a way that points to your glory and shows the world your great love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.